Amen. Our practice at uh, Grace Fellowship is to work our way through a book of the Bible. Uh, We're actually taking a break uh, from the Gospel of Matthew. We'll be back in Matthew in the fall. This summer we're uh, looking at various psalms, and today we're going to be in Psalm 73. So if you want to go ahead and start turning in your Bibles to Psalm 73, that's where we'll be. Uh, And my hope is that in studying the psalms, they would help us learn how to talk to God. That's what the psalms are. Uh, The psalms are a book of prayers, uh, prayers that have been turned into songs, uh, but prayers, uh, and they teach us how to talk to God. And uh, today, as we look at Psalm 73, I want you to notice how honest the psalmist is with God. Maybe you live under some kind of religious delusion uh, that there are some things that are off limits. Maybe you think, well, I can't really bring uh, all of who I am. I really can't express myself completely honestly to the Lord. I kind of need to sweep some of these things under the rug before I come to him. I don't want you to notice as we look in Psalm 73 that that really isn't the case, uh, that that the psalmist comes with his doubts and his struggles before the Lord and is honest about them. So uh, let's, uh, let's give our attention to Psalm 73. Let's stand together as uh, God's word is read out of reverence for God's word. A psalm of Asaph. Truly, God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They're not in trouble as others are. They're not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out through fatness. Their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff and speak with malice. Loftily, they threaten oppression. They set their mouths against the heavens, and their tongue struts through the earth. Therefore, his people turn back to them and find no fault in them. And they say, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the wicked. Always at ease, they increase in riches. All in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all the day long I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. If I'd said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. Until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I discerned their end. Truly, you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors. Like a dream when one awakes, O Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast toward you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel 
And afterward, you will receive me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there's nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of all your works. This is the word of the Lord. And while the grass withers and the flowers fade, the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray. Father, would you take the eternal truths of your word and would you write them on our hearts? Help us to see our Savior and respond with joy and faith. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. How many of you, let me just, let me ask the kids first. Have you ever said the words, it's not fair? Okay, we got a couple of honest hands. That's good. Yep, yep. Some, some scared hands in the back. Like I can't, I don't know if I can raise my hand around mom and dad. Yeah, okay. <laughs> right? Uh, adults, you've said the same thing. Uh, and you've thought the same thing. And so the psalmist here is expressing a feeling that we know very well. It's not fair. And there's a moral uh, and spiritual dimension to the fairness that he's talking about. And we're not talking about uh, Sally getting a cookie when Jill doesn't. That may not seem fair. But what the psalmist is wrestling with, what he sees is a lack of justice in the world. He's seeing arrogant and evil people getting what they want and getting away with it. And he's stumbling over this reality. He's saying, Lord, what's happening here? What are you doing? This isn't fair. This isn't right. Maybe you've struggled with similar questions. So what does God show the psalmist? How does God come alongside the psalmist and help him? Well, he, he pulls him back from the circumstances that he sees, and he shows him a bigger picture. As my friend Eddie says, uh, he shows him that while we're playing checkers, God is playing chess. That there is a long game in view. That there is a purpose and a plan. But I want you to notice that, yes, that's comforting. But even more than that, where the psalmist finds comfort is not simply in God's plan, but in God's presence with him. I am with you. You are with me. That's, that's where the psalmist drives us. So when, when life doesn't look fair, when life is not just, we rest in God's presence with us. And there, so there are two perspectives, uh, two points of view that the psalmist gives us. First, there are th- how things look from our point of view. The first part of the psalm is how things look from, from our point of view. And then the, the second part of the psalm is how things look from God's point of view. So let's look at those two different perspectives uh, and see what they have to tell us. Uh, Asaph, uh, the psalm is attributed to him. He was a, a, a worship leader, is probably how we would describe it in modern terms, uh, in the temple. 
And so it's even kind of relieving to realize that, uh, that a religious professional is the one who wrote these words, right? Somebody who you might think is beyond uh, these kind of struggles is actually not. Uh, and that's good news. But he opens with a statement of truth in verse 1. He says, truly God is good to Israel, to his people. We, in New Testament terms, we would say the church. God is good to his people, to those who are pure in heart. And so not just those who profess to be believers, but those whose hearts are completely devoted to him. That's what it means to be Pure in heart, to be completely devoted. And then he reveals a struggle. He says, I stumbled. I nearly lost my step because I envied the arrogant, the boastful, the proud. Uh, it's parallel with the wicked. These are, are people who are clearly opposed to God, they are not the pure in heart. And what's the problem? Why does he envy them? Because they prosper. The word for prosper is the Hebrew word shalom. Maybe one you're familiar with. It means peace. It means that, that all is well, that everything is good and right. And from the psalmist's perspective, you can see why he's, you can see his dilemma. On the one hand, right, God is good to those who are pure in heart. But these people are not pure in heart, and yet they prosper. They have what looks like shalom. How can that be? And he envies them. He wants what they have. He, he wants to be them. And then he goes on and he describes what their prosperity looks like. Verses 4 through 12 Right, first, he says that life is easy for them. Verses 4 and 5, they, they look healthy. Right, it says their bodies are fat and sleek. That may not sound like much of a compliment uh, in first, uh, 21st century America. Uh, but in, uh, in ancient Israel, right, remember that food's a lot harder to come by. We, we consume more calories in one meal than they probably did all day long. Uh, and so to be fat in that sense is to live in luxury, to have more than you need. That's what uh, the psalmist is saying. Life is easy for them. They look good. They look healthy. Verses 6 through 8, they take advantage of others. Not only is life easy, but then they take advantage of other people. They flaunt their pride and violence like fancy clothes. He says they loftily threaten oppression. So not only are they cruel to others, but they even brag about it. Because who's going to stop them? And then he says in verses 10 and 11, we see that they, they entice others, right? They draw God's people with them. Uh, and they mock God in the process. They say, how can, how can the Most High know? How can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? And he sums it all up in verse 12. Behold, these are the wicked. Always at ease, they increase in riches. And so he confesses to God that he feels like he's wasting his time. All in vain, he says, have I kept my heart clean, vain, worthless, pointless. 
all this striving and no benefit. Maybe you felt that way. Uh, To my teenage friends, maybe uh, you feel that way when you look at your friends. Uh, Your parents may be more restrictive than their parents. Uh, You don't get to do the things that they get to do, and they look like they're having the time of their lives, and you're not. And it's not just teenagers who struggle with that. If you're a, a, a religious person, you may feel like, man, I'm doing everything right and I'm seeing none of the benefit. That's, that's how Asaph feels. And the, the temptation here is to live, uh, it's what I call living by pragmatism. What's, what's pragmatism? A pragmatism is doing whatever works. A pragmatism is doing what gets results. It's very common. And in some cases for business it works well. But in, in the Christian life it does not. What's wrong with living by pragmatism? A couple things. One, uh, it might have the wrong goal in view. You're looking at the wrong end. You're pursuing the wrong thing. Looking for the wrong result. What you want and what God wants may be two different things. So that's one issue with living by pragmatism, doing what works. But two... The other part is we're limited in what we can see. Uh, We don't know all things. We don't have the full picture. Look back up at verse 3. What's wrong with the psalmist? He says, I was envious of the arrogant when what? When I saw the prosperity of the wicked. You see, he's, he's living by what he can see. He's living by sight. And what's wrong with that? Because we can't see everything. And so God has to give him a better perspective, which is what he does. Look at verse 16. He says, trying to understand this lack of fairness, this lack of justice, that things are not right, that that bad people are getting all of the good things. This is wearisome to him. And then he goes into the temple to worship. He goes to the sanctuary, which would refer to the temple, which is where God's people would gather to worship him together. And I want you to notice something. He doesn't give up. He envies the arrogant, but he doesn't join them. He doesn't... uh, He doesn't give in to his doubts. Rather, he goes, he he knows where to take those doubts. He goes to the temple. He goes to worship. Even as he struggles. Even as he doubts. Maybe you think that the Christian life, to, to be a Christian is to live a life without doubts. And without struggles. To not wrestle with unbelief. And Psalm 73 tells us that nothing could be further from the truth. The Christian is not someone without doubts. The Christian is not someone without struggle. The Christian is someone who knows what to do with their doubts. Where to carry their struggles. And that's what the psalmist does. 
He goes into the sanctuary. He goes into worship even when he's not feeling it. Right? Remember, he's not in a spiritual happy place. He's not, he's not jumping up out of bed like, man, I cannot wait to get to church this morning. Right? He's got some serious, dark stuff that he's wrestling with. He's like, Lord, am I wasting my time pursuing you? Am I wasting my time following you? But he goes to worship anyway. He goes into the sanctuary. And what happens when he gets there? He says, then I understood their end. God enlightens him. God shows him what will happen afterwards. This is, uh, this is why gathering to worship on a weekly basis is so vital to my spiritual health. I don't know what it is that you expect when you, when you come here. I don't know. Maybe you're checking a religious box. Maybe, maybe you're curious about what it is that Christians believe. That's, I'm glad that you're, you're here. Or maybe you're apathetic. And maybe you're like, I don't know. I'm about ready to throw in the towel. And what I would say to you is, you are in exactly the right place. Because this is exactly why we gather. We need to come before God's word, and we need to be reminded again and again and again of this truth. Because we hear a thousand different narratives and a thousand different points of view, and we have our own hearts. I was talking with a brother before the service. right? We, we, we get in our own heads, and our, our hearts tell us all kinds of false things. And so we need to come. And we need to be together and we need to be before God's word and be reminded of his truth. That's why we do what we do. That's what this is for. And so this psalmist, this Asaph, he he knows he needs it. He's like a thirsty man needing water. And so he comes into the temple, he comes to worship, and God helps him to understand. He pulls him back and he says, let's look at this from my perspective Step away from your limited perspective and let's put my glasses on and let's see how things are going to end up. And, and what is the end of the wicked? Look at verses 18 through 20. They may look solid and secure, but actually they're in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. They will fall. They look solid and secure now, but they will fall. They look immune to death. Remember, they have no pangs until death. They're at ease. But, God, but he says that they will be destroyed in a moment. They'll be cast off like a bad dream. So this is what will happen to the wicked. And that causes Asaph to see what he truly needs. First, Asaph realizes how he's acted towards God. He says, I was like an animal. I was like a beast. I was brutish. I was ignorant. I I didn't know Asaph repents. And then then he realizes God's blessing. Look at verse 23. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. Friends, that's the key right there. That prepositional phrase, with you. I am with you. The wicked seem to have all of these wonderful things. They enjoy all of the the finest of life. They seem to be able to do whatever it is they want. But they do not have him. 
And so the psalmist says, I am with you. They don't have you. And look at look at how he describes it. And I want you to I want you to picture these words in your mind as I read them. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. You will receive me into glory. You hold me, you guide me, you will receive me. Do you do you hear the personal nature of those words? That's the that's the promise of God to the believer. Friend, can you say I am held by God? I am guided by God. God will receive me, will welcome me into glory. If you can say that, what else do you need than to be held and guided and received by God? He goes on, verse 25, Whom whom have I in heaven but you? There's nothing on earth I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Those would be great verses to memorize when you're struggling. Those would be great verses to have in your mind and heart when you're wrestling with doubt. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. And then listen to his change of heart. He begins with envy and struggle. And how does he finish? For me, it is good. To be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of all your works. He begins with envy and struggle and he closes with contentment and joy. How does God draw us near? How can we how can we access lay hold of those promises? We'll look back up at verse one. He says, God is good, truly good. To those who are pure in heart. Can you say that? Can you say that you are you you have a single minded devotion to the Lord? I can't. Who can? There's only one. Only one man who is ever pure in heart. Only one man who is truly devoted to God and to his service. And did he get what he deserved? Not at first. When you consider the life of the Lord Jesus, when you look at the death of Jesus, it looks like the wicked win and the righteous lose. But what does Peter tell us in Acts 2, verses 22 through 24? He says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God, with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. In other words, it was very clear who Jesus was. He's talking to the the crowds in Jerusalem, the same crowds that weeks before had executed Jesus. He says, listen, you, you know Jesus. He was attested to you by God. Like it was very clear who he was. Then he says, this Jesus 
was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, this Jesus you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. So who killed Jesus? Lawless men. Who delivered him up? His father. According to what? His plan. God uses the wicked and their evil deeds against the only good man the world has ever seen. Jesus did not get what he deserved. You could see how he could pray, Psalm 73. Now, he can't be brutish and ignorant before the Lord like Asaph is, but you could see how Jesus could think, what, am I wasting my time here? Why do these people prosper when I suffer? That's what we would say. But Jesus knows. Jesus and the Father have, have known this plan from before time began. Jesus knows that he will be delivered up into the hands of wicked men. Why? So that God can save wicked men. Like you and me. The only righteous person suffered at the hands of unrighteous people so that unrighteous people could be drawn near to God. That's the gospel in Psalm 73, that doubting, stumbling people like you and me can draw near to God and enjoy his presence forever. Why? Because the Lord Jesus has opened the way for us to do so. Because he did not stumble. He was not arrogant. He got what he did not deserve so that you and I also get what we don't deserve. And that's God's grace. Friend, have you placed your trust in the Lord Jesus this morning? That's the only way. It's the only way a sinner can draw near to God. It's the only way that a sinner can know the, the fullness of joy that awaits And that's to be drawn near in Jesus. And so I hope that you would place your faith in him this morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for honest psalms. Thank you for putting psalms like Psalm 73 in the Bible so that we know it's okay. It's okay to struggle. It's okay to have doubt. You welcome us when we 